Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about session balance. Today we're talking to DM Robulon of Dungeons and Blaggards. How's it going, Rob? It is going very well. Jesse and Sean, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk about session balance because a balanced diet in the session makes for a good you know, RPG uh, time. And so I guess the very first thing is you had some questions to lead into it, but uh, yeah, I have a little, I guess, rundown of, of what I feel to be is a good, um, the good pillars of a good RPG session. And I guess we have about an hour, so um, hopefully we can move through quickly. What questions did you have to kick it off for me? Mostly where would people know you from? Maybe tell us a bit about Dungeons and Blackguards. Yes, uh, Dungeons and Blaggers is a D&D 5th edition actual play podcast. We've been recording for about a year and four months. We play every Monday, uh, 9 p.m. to midnight. It's five friends. Um, it's sort of homebrew, sandbox, player-driven narrative. That's, that's the goal. And what we do is then with those three-hour sessions is we chop them into podcast episodes we've been releasing those since uh, november 2018 we just finished our first season now we're in like a little hiatus and so i'm kind of getting out there and doing some uh, interviews and community stuff all righty so let's let's dive in then so when you talk about session balance because i think when you talk about game balance everybody kind of has an idea of what that means you know players aren't too overpowered monsters aren't too overpowered everybody's you know, challenged, they're all having fun from session to session, but within a, a single session, what do you what do you mean when you talk about session balance? So I think there's a good list that the GM should go through first off. Number of players, the duration, the anticipated time of the session. Um, is this a one-shot? Is this going to be a module? Is it a lengthy module? Is it an open-ended adventure or is it the beginning to a long-running campaign? I mean, first, I think we have to set the table with the right ingredients. And then we sort of say, okay, here's the table. It has four legs. I think one of them is story. The other one is the group dynamic. Uh, the third one are the stakes and the level of engagement. And then finally, I'd say the, the fourth is combat. Um, meaningful, exciting encounters. And those encounters also I would break into, uh, say, social, environmental, and then well, what we all want, the real blades and combat, and maybe even large-scale large scale conflict. So that's, I guess, where I'd break it into those four areas. Okay. I think the one that I... 
I think I have the most trouble with is is combat. And I think it's the one that a lot of newer DMs especially struggle with a bit because everybody kind of knows what a good combat session feels like after it's done. But I think, at least talking for myself, I have a hard time sometimes planning ahead of time or figuring out ahead of time, okay, what can I put into this so that it'll be it'll be fun, it'll be engaging, and it won't take the entire session. Interesting. Well, I'll move over to that sort of part of the discussion. Okay, first, CR, XP, you know, aiming for a finely tuned or, you know, finely scripted, quote-unquote, balanced encounter, and this is just my opinion, aims for a boring encounter. Um, You know, there has to be a credible threat and and some... uh, parity between difficulty uh you know encounters where they're back on their feet you're exhausting resources and other ones where they're just decimating the enemies and it's a walkthrough and to do that i i don't you know feel the way now i started maybe on the xp um a loose adherence to the crxp system but i quickly moved in favor of like what the combat needs i will include and from that perspective, you know, having story and meaningful encounters means more of a, um, you know, a, a, a having the PCs use their class features and their attacks and their quirks and really making sure that people are, are having fun. Um, you have to throw a lot at NPCs, or sorry, you have to throw a lot at PCs to really test them. And pre-planning, I found, always backed me into a sort of corner, and I always had to improv anyways. So I've learned to embrace that. All righty. Do you have any thoughts on that, Jesse? So um, you were saying that you kind of, you pre-plan a bit less. So what is that, like, when you're doing your prep, what does that look like? Is it, like, you know, obviously not really paying much attention to XB and CR, but, like, how do you, how do you go about kind of trying to figure out how you're going to challenge your players? Well, the first thing is to know the capacity of the players um, and certainly, you know, referencing more old school sort of mechanics where you know, I would still look at the CR rating of, say, the source monsters. And I would look at, up at, say, I have five level nine, for example, players. You got to know that they will walk through several things um, that are low CR. I mean, the character or a good character, right, should be, I think mechanically sound i mean unless you really for some reason want to play a flawed a mechanically flawed player um there's that and then inherently there's their ability to rp so when i think of encounters i think of again the the table analogy does the encounter add to the story the collaborative story we're telling no okay let's make that happen how is this encounter going to provoke the group dynamic, you know, that we want to encourage. Uh, then I think about the stakes. You know, why is this happening? Um, what are the causes? What are the effects? Um, maybe what are the outcomes? I might think of 10 or 12 outcomes, but I, I will never know what the actual outcome is going to be. And then finally, you know, back to that, the final element. Yeah, it should be easy combat. You should, I think, have a way as a DM to help your players through um initiative telling people who's on deck 
is very important. I always tell people who's on deck. I tell two people who's on deck while one person's playing. It's like barbarian. Remember you're up next. Okay. Ranger and you're familiar. You're up next. And so to keep those things flowing, I think is a fine art, but that's what you should aim for instead of getting perhaps bogged down in sort of mechanically trying to balance encounters. Really it's about, um, well, and also player expectations. What do your players want, guys? You know, we didn't even talk about what if your players don't want a lot of combat? Right. So I guess that's a, a good direction to go in. What if your players don't want a lot of combat? Because I, I've, I haven't played with many. My group right now is pretty happy with combat because they get to use all their cool abilities. But what do you do if you're playing with a group that is much more interested in in role play? They want to play a mystery intrigue game where it's not really a combat. It's a, well, yep, you successfully stabbed that guy in the back and now you've got to run away. Like, how do you, how do you deal with those kind of, of groups? How do you plan something for them so that they're, they're as engaged as the group that you've built a, a fun, challenging combat for? Yeah. A, a pivotal question. Well, this talks more about the social and the environmental side blended with what are the expectations of the players, you know, going back to, um, sort of the the beginning of what are the ingredients of your session number of players is important but also what are the varying skill levels and the complexity of each character like some characters are from a combat perspective simple fighter archetype run in there whereas others might be you know requiring twice as much dm time to arbitrate and so there's there's that side we can talk about but then i guess it is important to ask your players, how much do you want to get out of this from an exploration, adventure, and discovery angle? That's one that I would ask of all my players in session zero. That number two, how much do they want to take part in turning the wheels of the world? You know, large scale, maybe political intrigue. Some people will say, oh God, I don't want any of that. Okay. The third thing I call murder, battle, and bloodshed. And then I see how my party answers on this matrix of three areas of interest. And then I kind of get that if they're all saying they really heavily weight on the combat, I kind of know what sort of a campaign I should think about. And if I have half-half where a lot of them are saying, I love this idea of sort of story and big world building ideas, I think, okay, combat has to be inherently meaningful and player and narrative driven and i mean it's a it's a fine thing i suppose when you have players who are more interested um in the outcomes of combat and they maybe just want to get through it and that's fine um but then again we roll a lot of dice at least in the campaign we're playing now out of combat we roll just as many dice so the care the charisma and the skill based or the more social and environmental um, archetype characters they feel just as engaged and i do hear that as sometimes a complaint where you'll have an episode everybody's in the city but nobody's rolling charisma well that bard they want to roll too yeah for sure because there there are players and i've in my group i do have i think a one player that definitely enjoys the social stuff a little bit more than the combat stuff so keeping an eye on who likes what so that yeah if you've got a bard who Maybe in a fight, they're not that great, but you know, when you get into town, they can get everybody a really great deal on new equipment or they're 
a key like figuring out what comes next in the quest like they were able to play a key role there um yeah being able to make sure that you're playing to everybody's strengths and make sure everybody's having fun so real quick though i feel like i feel like i skipped to the end of your list of uh of uh parts of building a no let's session. let's bounce around I, I go fluid guys very fluid let's let's pivot to sharing time in the limelight the spotlight you just talked about i mean dm player time is at a premium and you know we're talking about now are, so are you guys both dms and players and podcasters and interviewers <laughs> so yeah. you do it all okay. uh, well I'm, I'm i'm i haven't had much of a chance to be a player uh ever but uh, <laughs> uh but yeah pretty much playing a bunch of roles okay um i'm certainly more on on the dm side of things but the fact is we see it as a, a thing worthy of discussion session balance all of these considerations but you know what the players want they just want a chance to show their cool character racial class features quirks um, maybe things they really want to share about their character backstory that are part of the world. Like that's what they want in a session. And so sometimes we think all oh, big picture and, you know, we get into this thing, but really, you know, guys, we just hit on it. A good session shares, you know, and I think a good DM, I mean, here's the nuts and bolts of it. Ask uh, or rather set the scene ask for decisions and choices, you know, listen to those decisions and choices, you know, active listening, number one DM skill, really listen. What are these entitled crazy players coming up with? Listen and then adjudicate and respect those, those choices, whatever they are. Um, and I think that is going to start a good rhythm in the session. You know, if everybody's aware that the DM is sort of on their side in wanting their character to shine, even if that means shining in death, even that shining in defeat, you're going to shine. And, and that is, I think, uh, probably the, the meat and potatoes of what I think a great session feels like afterwards. You know what? If it has one third combat, one third social, one third story and sort of advancement, fantastic. I mean, that's great. But you can have a four-hour session that's kind of just all shopping, and the characters might get to really um, explore every angle of their character. They're going to have memories of that session for years. So while we're talking about session, it's also not a prescription. Like, you do what's fun for you. For sure. And I think one thing for DMs to keep in mind is I think that we, because we're in control of the entire world. We're in control of the entire story. We have to come up with all of these NPCs and everything. Um, we have a tendency to want to show that off, to show the players, like, look at all this hard work I've done to make you an amazing world. <laughs> and I think we have to remember that once the session starts, it's about the players. It's not about, you know, this intricately crafted world or this great speech you wrote for the king. It's about making the players feel awesome in whatever it is that they're trying to do. Yes. I mean, here, here, can, can we get an amen? Because <laughs> that is, I think perhaps the, the key message for any new DM and all about that session zero, making sure that people see eye to eye. 
Um, and then you can test them. Then you can test the limits of, of what they've put down on their kind of expectations of the game um, in a fun way where you're not um, diametrically opposed to your players. In a sense, you are. I mean, if they've said, I want layers of villains, layers of plot and intrigue and backstabbing NPCs, well, okay, there is going to be some, um, what would you call it, adversity, and there should be. I mean, that's why we play these games to sort of act out maybe heroic, uh, certainly epic stories, and um, maybe this is a good place to pivot into, you know, show off your world through the best tool a dm has npcs i mean that's the role of npcs they're your session tool i use npcs to move things forward to set the pace or at least it's one of my um dials that i turn up and down to set the pace one of the things i've been thinking about because i've been I'm now running two games at once, which is a lot for me, but I've been thinking about NPCs specifically and how to like make good use of them without kind of showing off too mm -hmm. much. So uh, Sean mm -hmm. mentioned earlier how, you know, sometimes we want to show how much work we've put in and I've, whenever I need to introduce a new NPC or need an NPC to do something, I've sat myself down and go, okay, do I need to make a new NPC? Does a character that the party is already familiar with that they like to interact with, can they do it instead? Yes, don't need to make a new NPC. Use this NPC. They're already familiar. They like the character. But, you know, of course, if you're on the other end and it's a no, no, like, you know, this guy is, you know, they're, they're a loyal friend and they know he's loyal and he's done a bunch of stuff. He's not going to backstab them. Okay, new NPC. Great philosophy. I mean, if, it, if it's expedient and you have to create somebody on the fly, that's fine. And that, that happens a lot. But at the same time, yeah, great use of the underpinnings of the world. It makes your characters feel like everything is connected when NPCs kind of show up here and there. But, you know, you made a great point. I'm going to take a, a, a leap of faith. You made a great point, Jesse. Yes. <laughs> nice. That <clears throat> your NPC must have a purpose. If not, it is just you maybe, I really want to dust off this like Jafar-like Vizier character. Well, hold on. Does he serve a purpose? Your NPCs are there to enhance, you know, the game and the story. And um, the, again, they're, they're a tool in the DM's toolbox. Don't overuse them. You're not a player. And so purpose. Let's, let's go through what I see to be the five or six purposes. Number one, the easiest one, guide. Doesn't even need explanation. That's pretty much what they're there for. They might tell you on the way, bit of information, you know, oh, it's an evil mountain, that, an evil air over that mountain. Okay, fine. Fair enough. But then there's more than that. Then there's the advancement NPC, the one that I talked about, which is the messenger running into the room. Whatever you're doing doesn't matter. Town's on fire. You know, that's a great character. And will they turn into a long-term character? Maybe. We have a character like that in our campaign. He appears in season two, the messenger. Now we're in season seven, and he's like a major character in the world. Um, he started as just some guy shouting. Then there's the antagonist 
NPC, probably the easiest to, to play. A thief, a corrupt mayor, they're there for opposition. I mean, you got to have some of these NPCs in your game. It can't all be, you know, quest givers and gnomes with upturned carts and shopkeeps. I mean, there has to be somebody, I don't know, tripping up one of the characters or, or pickpocketing them. Then you have a mentor. Again, that could be a long-term or short-term one. They're like a guide, but a bit more. You know, they'll tell you why maybe the mountain is evil and perhaps why you should plan before, before you go there. And then, you know, get into these long-term or companion NPCs and then these very much supporting NPCs that are literally there just to kind of help them along their way. A baggage carrier, and, and I kind of stick to that. So I, I'm with you, you know, serve a purpose, reuse them if you can. It's not an excuse to sort of throw an ingredient in. Look how many ingredients you have already. These players are churning out uh, loose ends and exciting things every session. Like I see that way higher in terms of narrative value than a bucket of, of, of NPC characters. And I think... It also kind of takes a weight off of DMs. I mean, it depends on what kind of game you're running a little bit, because if you're running a game where they're questing across an entire continent, then having the same 10 NPCs show up from town to town, maybe... Makes no sense. Or maybe you can work it into the world and they're not actually questing. They're all having a crazy weird dream or something. But <laughs> I think if you if you set your campaign up, in a certain way. I was going to say properly, but you can. there's no real proper way to set up a campaign. It's all up to your own whims. But if you've got like a hub town that the players are always coming back to, you don't have to keep introducing a new NPC for every plot hook. Like if they've become friends with a shopkeep or the bartender or, you know, that weird old hermit on the edge of town, then use that that NPC for as much as you can get out of them so that you're not having to like give yourself a break. You've already got a whole world to manage. You don't need to continuously yes. add to a roster of NPCs. Yes. And if you are globetrotting, I mean, our campaign is completely sandbox. It's a world that I think is just a little bit more than the earth. Got the whole thing mapped down to the kilometer. I mean, they could have gone in any direction at the beginning of this campaign. And I certainly play a bit of an improv game like Schrodinger's Encounter, the Quantum Ogre, sort of, you know, towns are as populated as they need to be, but I have a sense of the realism of it. And yet you make a, you know, you make a great point where let the PCs do their stuff. They will surprise you how resourceful they are in sort of finding ways to advance without an NPC around every corner. Um, and then there's also, you know, the cautious versus overconfident nature of you do have to have NPCs who will perhaps be of questionable uh, moral uh, side of the compass. And this should be, again, a chance to make those characters roll, you know, make the ones who have high insight or charisma, uh, deception, make them in the session roll those skills. I mean, I, I see roll and roll as completely interchangeable and you need to, at least in my opinion, have a good balance throughout that session of almost like a graph where you're making sure that you haven't gone, you know, 20, 25 minutes talking to one 
character or, or pursuing one line of thought. And perhaps that's another good thing to talk about. Well, just really quickly. You have, yeah, go for it. Just, it, it kind of comes back to the session zero, where if, if your players have said that they want to play an intrigue game where there's lots of mystery and backstabbing and shadowy meetings, then it can't be a globetrotting thing because you build like that mystery and intrigue and who's going to betray us next by having a stable roster of characters. Whereas if they want to have some high epic adventure, it's okay if they're not meeting the same people time and time again, because you know, yes, the NPCs aren't as important as the quest that the players are on. I mean, it's a, it's a good point too, about distance in your game in, in some ways, I suppose an example from our game is we have a game that is, I guess, very long distance in some respects, and it leaves some NPCs behind, and yet they're sort of involved still in the world, but it does make for a tougher time for the DM when they have to manage multiple geographic areas of sort of intrigue and influence. Um, it, It would all depend. It does get back to that session zero. That requires people maybe taking more of a session to session interest, maybe taking some notes, whereas some people might just be, you know, I just want to kick down the door every week, have a couple beers and pretzels. I like not slaying just meaningless monsters, but I kind of just want a dungeon delve. That's fine too. I mean, play the game the way it sounds fun to you, especially in terms of setting. And some people do just want three hours of combat with a couple short rests in between. Like, that's fun. Uh, we did that for about six sessions of our long-running campaign, and it was a bit exhausting for me. It was certainly easy. Every week I came to the table, and they're like, they're still fighting the same 400 foes. <laughs> and so as a DM, I kind of took a break for about six sessions because all they did, they like leveled up. Um, they were dying for a long rest, literally dying for a long rest. And these are the things you have to think about when you're balancing your your party interactions too. Um, make sure that combat is not dominated by, uh, say, a caster that takes a very long time to get through their rolls and deal their damage, um, or you know, mini games where a rogue engages with some series of locks. Only one person is acting; everybody's standing around. Like DMs, it is your job to involve the environment, uh, involve time. You know, say, you know what, Rogue? It's a ticking time bomb here. We're not going to sit and talk for 10 minutes. There's footsteps coming. Um, as my great mentor would say, uh, how to GM, uh, how to be a great GM guy there, insert the giant banana, you know, speed it up. And that that maybe takes us back to the table analogy the group dynamic that is a huge part of this you know sort of a respect for player agency but also time in the limelight uh, very important what's your guys thought on the dm's role in encouraging that good good behavior i think it's definitely i mean i think it's something you have to hash out in that session zero kind of figure out like set the ground rules for okay this is the kind of story we're going to be playing through. This is the kind of characters, the types of characters, the archetypes we want to play around with. 
it's it can definitely be a little bit tricky because I think everybody comes to the table wanting a different thing, but it's the kind of the purpose of a session zero is to reach some kind of agreement as to what game are we playing. It also becomes tricky because sometimes day to day people come wanting different things depending on how they're feeling or or whatnot. But like, um, I know something I try and keep an eye out for my table on my table, especially when they're maybe exploring a dungeon and you know we've been focusing on the rogue going through the traps and going through locks and stuff like that is make an effort to look at my players and be like, Oh, I see, you know, John over there is kind of fidgeting. Uh, John, what's your character doing? Well, the rogue's picking the lock. What are you, what's, what's your guy getting up to just to like engage the players, even if it's with small things. So it's never just one person doing everything all session long. Great point. Prompt them. Yeah. And I think it also, to me, it comes like for that kind of thing. Like if you're doing a dungeon crawl or you're sneaking through a castle or anything like that, I'm I'm of the mindset, I'm in the, of the philosophy that if there's no downside to somebody trying something, they don't need to make a dice roll. Like yeah. you know, if the if you're trying to get through a whole bunch of locked doors, but there's nobody chasing you, you're not trying to save somebody because there's a time pressure. It's like, yeah, the rogue just unlocks all the doors as you pass through. It's not. You can just narrate your way through it. Yes. But a question I have for, for both of you when it comes mm-hmm. to the, the d- dynamic at the table is how do you manage players who, like or a party rather, of, of players where maybe one or two of them are nowhere near as invested in the game as the rest of them? Maybe one of them is there because there are significant others at the table and they just wanted to, to hang out and, and play this fun game. And occasionally they get involved, but sometimes... Most of the time, it seems like they'd rather just be on their phone. That's a tough one. Um, I mean, you guys are touching on some great stuff that would almost make a a whole other topic in itself. Um, You mentioned just quickly before, yeah, it it is interesting when the theme or the tone or the needs of the players or the table changes. That's very interesting. Uh, And yes, I, I love the concept of once you establish what the group is doing, Sort of fast forward, but then I, I I always remind players, stop me if you want to zoom in. You know, if I've said you guys are bursting through every dungeon once you guys have figured it out, but you're saying, well, look, 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 I'm actually picking up a little bit. I'm picking up rocks in every room and I'm filling my bag with rocks. Often once you open the door, uh, no pun intended, for people adding their two cents, like you said, you prompt them. It becomes very interesting. And then I think for less RP skilled players, I would pull from my bag of tricks, like a bag of random things or a bag of random cards. And I would say, while Rogi here is is picking the door, um, fighter, rats run across your foot. What do you do? You know, that, boom. Now he doesn't need to think about it. Is he going to shout? I stomp on one of them. It's exciting. And so, again, as the DM remembers, somebody said it before, you are omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful. Never leave your players hanging. Throw something at them. Okay, tough. Levels of engagement. These guys are engaged. They're thinking about it every uh, day of the week. They have notes. They don't even have their phones at the table. These other guys, they're just rolling. The guys are gals. They're rolling when it's combat. They're kind of engaged if you say their name. It's a tough one. I think you have to take them aside and say, what is it in session zero that we got wrong? You know, let's go back. 
is that matrix no longer important to you? Is, or is it that you're falling out of favor with that group dynamic? Maybe somebody is overpowered uh, and that actually is, is actually affecting their enjoyment of the game because they want to do more. Every encounter, they feel their character isn't doing enough. You know, talk. I'd say always talk with those players. It's a tough call. What do you guys think? Well, uh, you know, we've we've come back to that point actually a lot in this show is that you've got to, you know, we our first episode was about session zero and we keep on coming back to it and the fact that you, you know, that's not the end of your communication with the players about how the game's oh. going and what kind of game they want to play. You got to be checking in, you keep you got to keep an eye on them. You got to be aware of what your players are doing and yeah, if you see a player who's obviously not really enjoying themselves or not engaging, just try talking to them <laughs> like presumably your friends or at least people who get along with each other and you you're all there to have a good time so talk to that player see if there's a problem you know it, it might not even have anything to do with the table but sure try and solve that problem in a constructive way as opposed to like i've been in games where i've seen people just get more and more frustrated each session until someone explodes sure well, there's a funny um, thing I saw going around, which is, you know, DM anticipated vision crafting epic stories for your friend, actual psychologist for your friends while voicing a goblin. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely what it can feel like sometimes. If you all come down and sit at the table and then you just have a, you know, friendly, healthy therapy session instead. Yeah, well... <laughs> But you know what, guys? That is what's going to happen regardless. I mean, we're playing this game. It is kind of silly. It's 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 make-believe dragons and fantasy worlds. And we're describing these epic, hopefully, collaborative stories. I mean, I am from the, I guess, the school of... This is about a narrative, fun time, using a framework of, you know, what is... What is um, in its genesis a you know military strategy game um and you can play whole sessions like we finally had a session in a while without an initiative role it was a great one um i actually want to talk about what you do when it's time to level up because we had a level up montage we had like a three hour session where the whole goal of the session i mean they could have gotten into fights but we sort of zoomed in we kind of did it fast it was a ton of fun and so I think that if you guys are coming back to it again and again, then it is one of the key things about this game. Like we're people, people have different motivations um, and those um, things do come out at the table. And I think our job as DMs is to recognize them when they come up, acknowledge them, but then deal with them in a really caring way. Um, if you see them bubbling up, don't let it fester. Like, you know what? You can always end that session early. Nothing cools the table off by saying, you know what, guys? We're going to cut it early tonight, but let's talk a bit. And, and here's my advice. When asking for feedback, specific. If you ask folks, hey, did you have a good time? Everybody's going to say yes. Everybody's going to say yes. You have to ask, what did you like? What didn't you like? Just ask those two questions to every player and everybody's going to say something they liked less. And then that's a great way to kind of have a barometer. Even after each session, 
and I guess another thing I'd love to talk about is is the art of the recap and that sort of thing. But um, I, I would encourage DMs, don't be afraid to ask these specific questions. What did you like? What didn't you like this session? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? And, and that is my gift to the GM DM um, community out there. I think one thing, though, is that you have to ask those questions individually, like send them an email or a text or a message on Facebook or something sure. and ask your players individually, because I've found that when I ask those questions of the group, one person, usually the person who does the most talking during the session will say like, oh, I like this. I didn't like this. And right. maybe more of this next time and less of this. And then everybody else, like if you have other players who aren't as charismatic who aren't as willing to speak up when it's you know getting into criticism then you'll have a bunch of people go yeah yeah same same yeah instead of actually telling you what they thought well that, that's well said and i suppose because i have a strange experience as a dm i've never dm'd at a table it's always been audio via discord and mostly theater of the mind. So there's always, uh, because of just the nature of it, having to have the you know respect to be silent while somebody else is talking. Um, our post-game sort of uh, wrap-ups, usually everybody gets to their piece, but you have a great point. If your table and your group dynamic within the game is already kind of maybe dominated by one or two personalities, yeah, your Q&A is also going to be driven and the message may be set by them. So great point. Use the text. Use the the email. And people during the week might have really candid feedback where they say, I'd love it if my character got a chance to do X. And use the DM. You've just been given a great prize. You know, you now know something that a player is just gonna leap at. And what better thing for a DM? And when you know one of your precious hooks and one of your great ideas, you've almost agreed that it's important for a character, maybe a piece of their backstory, maybe a new skill after they level up. Um, it's all about the players, guys. Actually, speaking of leveling up real quick, there's something that I wanted to ask your guys' opinion on, because to me, leveling up in D&D has also always felt a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Like you gain enough experience and then, bing, you know how to swing your sword real good now. <laughs> Like, how, like the idea of, of spending an entire session either like narrating, like, who did you go to to figure that taught you this like little trick that you learned sure. and now is part of your repertoire? Or where did you pick up this new spell? Like, how did you yep. add it to your, like, how did you learn it? Like, because it's something that I've kind of always struggled with, with regards to just how level leveling up works. Because usually what I do is for my campaign, I did milestone leveling instead of XP leveling. So we'd reach a milestone and just I'd just tell them, cool, you all level up now. And it was usually when they were in a town and there could be like a week's downtime where they could feasibly figure all this stuff out. But how do you guys deal with, with leveling up? Yeah. Do you guys try to pay special attention to it? Um, most of my campaigns have had a built-in structure that allows like an implication of how they leveled up. Like... Uh, so two of my games have involved a magic, or not a magic, like a an adventuring academy that they worked out of as their base. So like the implication would always be they would level up around the time they went back. They would have time to train with the instructors, ask for pointers maybe based on some of their failings over the last thing. And that was always kind of implied to have happened. Um, 
currently I'm running a Dragon Heist game and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do in that one because it's milestone and it's also a little bit different just structure wise. Also, I'm not writing the whole thing from scratch, so it's kind of uh, difficult to figure that out sometimes. But yeah, like that that's mostly what I try and do, especially when it's homebrew stuff is like build in a resource for them to use for like training, whether it's like, you know, there's a wizard, so there's a grand magical library that they can go to and they can spend their time putting more spells in their book or what have you. Uh, Rob, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I, I mean, again, I admire when there's a rhythm and there's a framework, like you said, either measures or you said a built-in structure. That's great. And I think that that's one of the tools a DM can use. If it's built into the world in the campaign, a magic academy, um, or a sense that we went here, we had an adventure, we went back, and there's a natural milestone attached to it. There's a there's many, many pros on that one. And yet, it may be incompatible with some games or modules you're running like you're finding with Dragon Heist. Okay, so let's think. Where are these skills coming from? That That was your question, Sean. Yeah, right. Basically, like, when a wizard levels up and they get a bunch of new spells in their spell book, where do they where? come from? Okay, so the first question you have to ask yourself and the player is from within or from without? And that starts the creative juices flowing from within or from without. If it's from within, then we need to explore that. Is there a magic book where maybe it's a warlock patron and a book of shadows where the spells are arriving on the page? Is it that the wizard has to seek out new spell components and must return to town? And so I would also sometimes ask players, you know, do you feel like you've leveled up? I often talk with players uh, through NPCs and, and the NPCs will say like, boy, you guys look like you are just brimming with confidence. You have a glow about you. And that's my hint to them that they're close to leveling up. I like to keep it sort of anti-meta. I'll eventually tell them, yeah, look guys, here's your actual XP. And I blend that XP in, but I think it is important to somehow make it realistic. You know, the cleric knows they're a better cleric today than they were two weeks ago. Um, that level one cleric, they'd never seen the undead. And, and now they've cast, you know, um, all sorts of um, rituals that they had never used in combat. I would really put the onus on the players to say, we're going to treat leveling up as sort of a fun thing, as fun as you guys want to make it, but what? Like, if this isn't the player arc, the advancement of what we went, we talked about before, a character should be a mechanically sound bag of numbers and interesting because of their RP ability. So if this is not the hero's journey, leveling up through this structure i mean we're talking about dnd 5e but it could be ADD, it could be pathfinder it could be savage worlds it could be anything i think we put a lot of focus on this look how excited people get when they hit level five when they get the feats level nine our, our players just hit level nine and again we've devoted hours to integrating the way that their characters are either summoning new skills from within or from without, where I say, look, here's the environment here. They happen to be in an Arctic environment. 
So the things that they're leveling up with, what the ranger, well, I'm going to go maybe see if there's trackers around and maybe I'll join them on a polar bear hunt. So much yes, guys. So much yes. I encourage people, think about the things, the people, and the places that are helping your character acquire new skills, ability, and knowledge. And, and maybe you spend 20 minutes on it from level two to level three out of necessity. And maybe you run a game where it's unpredictable when leveling up is going to happen. Okay, tweak it, but have an idea that this should be like really a milestone moments, not to mix metaphors, in the character's journey. And one thing that our group is famous for is being pending level uppers. They spent once, what was it? Uh, 16 hours as pending level uppers. They were constantly pursued. They could not get a long rest. And it, and it turned into one of the most tense moments in the campaign because their, their resources were exhausted and they could not get to that level up long rest. It was nail biting. That actually sounds fascinating. And as much as I'd like to dive into there, I just want to make sure that we've cut kind of, we're, getting close to the end here. So I just want to make sure that we've, we've kind of covered everything, uh, that initial list of, mm-hmm. of uh, items that you said for session balance, because we've we've covered a couple of them. I just want to go back to that list and see what we haven't crossed off yet. Yeah, well, we have done a sort of organic conversation. And you know what? That's my method, guys. I got my notes and I cross stuff off as we're talking about it. So we've talked about the group dynamic. We've talked about, ah, stakes. Hmm. Perhaps that's I think that is... a great thing. Does every session have to have heavy stakes? What do you think? I would disagree with heavy stakes. I think um, I like my stakes medium, but no, sorry. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think every session needs to have some stakes. Like there has to be something that you know, your players have a risk of failing at because otherwise you're kind of just sitting around a table or sitting at your your desk looking into a webcam and talking to your friends for, for two hours. Like mm-hmm. there there has to be something at stake, whether it's are they going to find the information they need? Are they going to get to the dungeon in time? Are they going to survive this harrowing fight? Sometimes the stakes can be really high, like if you fail, the kingdom is doomed, or they could be really small. Like if you don't find this piece of information, then it's going to take you guys a little bit longer to find find out where this treasure is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that kind of gets to my philosophy with stakes is that like uh, they can be really high. And, you know, a lot of the times it is really high because that's, you know, you're running a game where it's a big grand adventure. But sometimes I feel like people forget that they can be very small. They can be your relationship with an NPC who you've come to rely on, or even, even the party's relationship with each other. Um, And I feel like when your players kind of give you the gift of kind of presenting, Oh yeah, these characters are butting heads. You should take that opportunity to explore that and see what that looks like at the table. And that can be the stakes for the session. It doesn't always have to be, you know, pursued by giant demon bear Mm -hmm. yeah and i think although that sounds great (laughs) yes yes. the uh the high stakes the like 
kingdom world reality is at stake. You've got to do this thing. Like that is kind of DM stakes. That's what maybe we're more a little bit more interested in. Yeah. Um, but I think that it kind of comes back to letting the players take the stage, like we've talked about, where the things that they're interested, the things that are, you know, might not be high stakes for the party, but maybe it's really high stakes for one of the players that they get to, you know, they get to the in on time because they've heard and got a note that somebody they care about is about to be kidnapped. Like it's high stakes for that character, but for everybody else, it's just, Oh yeah, let's help Jim's character out. That's true. Hey, I just walked away from my uh, USB plug. Do you guys hear me? Okay. Still? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we touched on a couple very interesting things there. And well, perhaps we should quickly talk about, yes, the level of your party is important to the story. Low level adventures, I mean, unless you're really kind of playing with stuff, maybe throwing them right against the big bad to show them that they are very low level adventures. We've got to remember, it's sort of their local low level heroes at a certain point, one to five. Then maybe they maybe they become sort of regional, and now it's hard to not be known with these skills. I mean, adventurers are a different class of a person. And then, like you were saying, I think Jesse, world-changing events and the machinations of say long-term universe plots. I mean, we do get there. I think in some in some campaigns um, at the higher levels, but. That is a part of that session balance as well. And and story, does there need to be a rising action and a first act and a second act and a third act in each session? I mean, I would argue probably yes. I would argue that it is your job as the DM to, if it's an hour-long session, it's a half-hour-long session, even at lunch. If it's a three-hour session or a 12-hour session, it is your job to... Deliver a compelling recap that brings players into this imaginary world you're, you're creating for them. And then take them, there has to be, I think, some um, progression and advancement through some type of a narrative, whether it's kind of a one, one, two thing, or sometimes our, our players, they have to end that session on a low note. But uh, you guys make great points. It's not always about huge things. It could be interpersonal it could be the revelation about an item. Um, it, it could be anything. It could be a character. Uh, it could be a character's birthday, you know, provoking some um, moment from their past. So when we wrap up, I mean, how, how do you guys like to wrap up? What is the art when you start knowing, because you probably have a group that knows how long your sessions are, um, how do you begin to weave those threads together as an artful storyteller DM and wrap up? I mean, honestly, sometimes we just get to the end of the combat and I go, cool, we're done for today, guys. <laughs> but yeah, there is there's a little bit of an art there to wrapping up and kind of writing, you know, or not writing, but telling just small little conclusions to like, okay, you guys have you found this clue in the library and you talk to this NPC and you guys know which direction you have to head in and we'll pick up next session. Like yeah. I try to leave a cliffhanger if I can mm -hmm. <laughs> always down to time. Right. But like, you know, today in dragon heist, they eventually get a haunted tavern that they get the bill of like the deed to. So I kind of ended it 
after a couple of hints that something might be going on with a direct obvious oh there's a ghost here before being like okay see you next session yeah i think sometimes you don't have much of a choice you kind of you're in like halfway through a big combat that you thought would only take you half an hour and Mm -hmm. people have to go home or you have to get to bed you know it's time to wrap up so sometimes you just don't have a choice but i agree that yeah having a nice little conclusion wrap up a way to to end on a maybe not a high note because sometimes those cliffhangers can be like oh no two of our party just disappeared what do we do but having something that you know gets them thinking about like sending your players home with something that'll keep them thinking about the game until the next time you can play oh yes oh yes i would say it boils down to what are they going to be telling themselves about how that session concluded and um here here's a great trick again go back to the pillars of the stool got to end that session it's time you're not sure what to throw in well it's going to be one of those things it'll be either story but don't overuse that that's too kind of deus ex machina if you use it too much but my favorite is environment my favorite is environment for instance just describe to them something like, and the cold wind blows through the bloody battlefield. The fall leaves begin to leave the trees and the party realizes the seasons are changing. Like nothing's changed about the combat, but you've put in this thing, you're reminding them about the world they're in. Or like, you know, um, you know, as, as they draw their swords or their final foes here, Clouds gather and you hear rain begin to plink on the armor. You know, you have narrative license to just throw stuff in there. I've even done stuff like kittens run through the battlefield just to you know, just to sort of have something to pick up off of last time. Okay, you guys will remember you were slaughtering the orcs and then those alley cats ran past the party. That's where we cut and that's where we're picking up. You know, uh, you know, you're top in initiative. The cats are just coming by. And before you know it, I tell you, somebody's going to pick up one of those cats. Well, I mean, those things are great ways to end a session because they have to lead into, like you said, interest. Um, if you have left off and people are saying, yeah, you know, I was kind of like the grindstone and I expect more of that next session. I think we're missing out on something. Every session should be different yet every session should have some balance for sure i think that's a good place for us to wrap up this session (laughs) yeah Um, we uh we actually just have one final quick question for you rob which is uh, if you could uh, hop in a time machine and go back to time to talk to yourself before you were going to run your first session while you were prepping what's a piece of advice you'd give yourself about that uh prince less Print way, way, way less and focus a lot more on those in-the-moment improv tools. And that perhaps is also what I might have told myself, which is after every session, keep note of the things you want to try out, new tools for next session, things you might have done differently. Um, now, after every session, I write in the corner of my notebook, DM tips, kind of like to myself. And I look back at that before the next session and remember like, right, you know, do this. Or I'll circle, listen like a thousand times. 
And that's, that's our goal here, guys, right? We want to be on our way to becoming better DMs and GMs. And so that's what I might have told myself, which is this is not going to be an exhaustive thing about lore and you printing lots of stuff and printing 800 NPCs to populate a town. It's going to be about like a collaborative, really a growing thing. And so perhaps focus more on the, the good ingredients need to grow and less on the details. Sounds good. So before we get out of here, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Places that people can find you online, stuff you want uh, people to go check out? Uh, well, we did just hit uh, last night over 2,000 uh, downloads, and we have concluded our first season of our actual play podcast. Uh, season two launches May 15th, 2019, and you can find us on you know, Podient is our main podcast platform, but we're on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere you get your podcasts. And in fact, one of our main things is a balance of combat, story, humor, and we do really like the big descriptive gore hits. So, you know, warning, our podcast does have arterial spray and all sorts of limbs flying everywhere. We have a battle badger that we're going to see some action from in season two. I'm pretty excited, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me to the show, by the way. It was uh, cool to realize we were so close uh, geographically. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, I think that, that about does it for the episode. Yep. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Jesse. Bye, Sean. I hope we get the chance to talk in and good luck on your uh, continuing podcast. You guys are great interviewers, great topic. And I think this will help people who want to hear just a kind of fireside chat of how do you keep the right uh, pacing and balance in your session. Um, happy gaming, guys. Happy gaming. Bye. Bye. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at, at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. Uh, you can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience. And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network. You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com. And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed, competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30 p.m. PST. I was told that once the earth was shaped like a dish. This was a time before mortals or the law. That time has long since passed, and no one tells those stories anymore. All they care to tell these days, over and over again, are the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.